On this week's episode of Polk and Kush, the Pelican season comes to an end after a game six loss. We were there to see it live. We will tell the tale. We'll talk about the whole season. Plus, the Saints had a draft. We don't know much about it, but we'll get into all that. And, of course, your local breakdown where people are stealing things, people have terrible ideas. You love it. I love it. You're going to love this episode of Polk. Come everyone, it's a late night episode of Polk and Kush. It is 10 p.m. The New Orleans Pelican season has just ended. We are recording live on tape from the Bud Light Lime Studio. I'm Scott Kushner alongside Mr. Andrew Polk. How do you do? I'm good. Uh, I went to the game. Yeah. Had good seats. Nice. Had a good time. Yeah. And now I have a big garbage bag sized red t-shirt that feels like sandpaper. <laughs> and it looks like a bachelorette party shirt. Like it has stars and like curly Q font. I don't know. Uh, it didn't help the team win, but it will help my collection of rags that I use to clean the kitchen. I'd never seen a giveaway shirt that didn't have a sponsor before. It's like the team just paid for it, which seemed odd. Well, I think uh, whoever the sponsor was saw it, and they were like, this looks like a girl's trapper keeper. I... I'm careful about what I tweet because I don't want to hear from anybody. Yeah. But I really wanted to tweet about the shirt today. <laughs> so here's my tweet yes. about the shirt. It is ugly. It's XL. And all the people around me were complaining that the shirts were too small. I look like a child <laughs> wearing a pillow. I look like fucking little Nemo up there wearing a pillowcase. They're like, everybody has to wear red. Yeah. Red is a bad color for white people. Yeah, it does, especially those of us uh, in the red-faced community. It does not help uh, bring out our finest traits. Uh, it, it was a good atmosphere in there tonight. People really wanted it. It's so nice to go. Like, I'm going to miss when next season starts. I'm going to miss showing up to the arena and knowing that, like, there's going to be a real crowd. People give a shit. This is a thing that is important, and it's like... That has been such a uh, a blessing the last whatever four or five home games um, that that has actually existed and, and it was uh, it was fun. I mean, this, this the last week in, in there was fun and Pelicans made it a game tonight, which definitely made it more enjoyable, even though it didn't end obviously the way they wanted to. Yeah, um, spirits were bright uh, leaving. You know, people were still doing the Jose chant. Uh, people were still doing the fuck Jay Crowder chant. <laughs> Uh, but spirits were good all around. And, uh, you know, at the end, it, people were standing up all over the arena cheering. They yeah. put on a JT and Graf on the radio call and they were talking about getting, you know, misty eyed. And, I, you know, I, I think a lot of Pelicans fans, uh, you know, felt very proud. And uh, it was it was a fun thing to see in person. I know watching that game on Bally or God knows, however you can get it, uh, you don't pick up on that stuff. But it was a fun, uniting atmosphere 
which I've never really experienced in person with the Pelicans or Hornets. Yeah, it really uh, was a very odd finish in that most times, especially when you lose a really tightly contested playoff game, people are pissed. And especially when you're, you know, every Saints playoff game I've ever been to, they lost. People are really, really pissed walking out of the building. And uh, it kind of just... Uh, the way that people stuck around toward the, for the end, and they cheered as you know the uh, Suns are going to the free throw line, and it was just this very interesting dynamic of like everyone kind of knew this team was playing with house money, and as badly as they wanted them to win, they were pretty aware that they weren't supposed to, and pretty aware that it likely wasn't going to last much longer, and so the disappointment of not advancing, I think was uh, superseded by the appreciation of just having something, you know, fun for the last couple of weeks to root for. And, and I do think a lot of that comes from playing three rookies, catching lightning in a bottle, like out of nowhere, making a, 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 a you know, a little run here. Uh, and you could really feel it. It was uh, also the perfect time just for the city of New Orleans, you know, between hurricanes and a pandemic and crime wave after crime wave. Yeah. You know, it, it feels like spirits have been lifted by the team a little bit and coinciding with French Quarter Fest, uh-huh. Jazz Fest, and just kind of a, a tourism boom coming back to the city. So it it felt uh, like back to normal for real. You know, back to normal has been thrown around a lot. Yes. Nothing has been normal. You know, we're like, no. we're like, oh, we don't have to wear a mask in the grocery store. Things are back to normal. <laughs> Looking around and seeing 10,000 Pelicans fans... Not normal. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes. But it felt correct and it felt yeah. good. And uh, I, I hope that it continues into next season. I think that it will, uh, especially if Zion comes back. Yeah. It made for some positive trajectory, certainly. Uh, Willie Green at the end of the game goes over and uh, gives Monty Williams and Chris Paul some pretty big hugs. He kind of admitted he's like, that was really hard. He's like, I hated that that was my first playoff series, like his two best friends in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's got to, you know, go against him. He's like, and you cut off all communication and you don't talk to him and you start to kind of, you know, grow resentful of them. He's like, and deep down, you know that you're brothers with each other. And that's, I think he was very emotional leaving. People cheered him very loudly coming off the floor. Uh, I think Willie Green has some shortcomings uh, as an X and O's coach that probably over time you would think will get better. But as far as like the buy-in he has, the franchise, the uh, faith that people have in him, uh, in this community, and these fans, and people like Chris Paul and Monty Williams, who who better to endorse a guy mm-hmm. than those two guys? Mm-hmm. And it's like all of those things just spell just say a lot about Willie Green, right? Like mm-hmm. it's really hard to look at all that and go like, well, fuck this guy, he lost. You know, yeah. <laughs> really, it's a very odd feeling uh, in losing in that you come away going like, wow, there's a lot of respect for this coach. I mean, fans got what they want. They got the total opposite of last season. Yeah. The total opposite of Stan Van Gundy. Yes. The total opposite of the rookie class that came in with Zion. Yes. And, you know. It, it, I, it feels hard to, like, to have any qualms about the season in retrospect right now because all of the bonus boxes were checked. Winning against the Spurs, winning on the road against the Clippers, uh-huh. 
winning on the road and at home against uh, arguably the best team in the NBA. Yeah. I think a lot of uh, people that were, you know, screaming fuck Chris Paul are probably going to wind up cheering for Chris Paul later on the playoffs. Maybe that's a crazy pipe dream. I know that it is hard to get situated into kind of NBA fandom and especially NBA Twitter. Yeah. You know, Pelicans, they just haven't been there that much. And there seem to be like... A lot of people seem genuinely confused. The yeah. Suns didn't like the Pelicans players. They were like, why would they say that? About, like, this, this is what should be happening. This yeah. is a sign of actual growth. Yeah. You know, should the guy dressed up as Darth Vader have a Pelicans podcast <laughs> on the NBA network? I don't know. But, should the team be promoting every random person who happens to like the team? Yeah. They're not promoting us, so this is where the... This is the problem I have. But uh, a lot of good signs going, a lot of good faith with this team, and, uh, you know, we got what we wanted, I think. Uh, yeah, I suppose uh, there's definitely there was a house money element uh, of all of this uh, that will go away quickly, and it does. It goes away quickly. Mm-hmm. Next season, there will be real expectations. They lose in the first round next year. People will be pissed, and, uh, and that's just the way it goes, you mm-hmm. know? Not so much. I mean, I couldn't tell you what you know how things line up, but yeah, I, I promise you, if they don't do any better next year, there will not be this feeling of total gratitude uh, toward it. They had uh, they started at the bottom, the three and sixteen start, coming out of nowhere, getting CJ McCollum, etc. All those things kind of lead you to believe that things are getting better. Playing the fact that they were in the middle of the fourth quarter against the sixty four win Suns. And they've got three rookies on the court. Uh, and they're going punch for punch. Jose Alvarado is one of the best players on the floor. Trey Murphy was great. Like, this is, Herb Jones was spectacular at times. This is not normal. That doesn't happen in the NBA. There are no teams that play three rookies and, like, stay in the fight. The guys who let the Pelicans down, Brandon Ingram had a tough fourth quarter. And C.J. McCollum was a ghost. Uh, he got five fouls after he waved off. Willie Green tried to sub sub him out. He basically told him, no, I'm good. I can do this. Like, I'll play with four fouls. And they called him for some light ones. And he came out, and he had a disappointing run. And I, I think he's the guy who probably, uh, if you were to look at why this isn't going seven games, it's probably because of C.J. McCollum in a lot of ways. And I know that might not be fair to C.J. McCollum, but you got they did lose, you know? Like, this did happen. This is uh, what I particularly like about this podcast. Yeah. What we're saying right now is not fuck CJ. No. It is, if you want to talk about what happened in the game, that's a thing that happened in the game. Yeah. It, it was relevant throughout the playoffs. Yeah. It doesn't really affect, I'm, I'm glad he's on the team. It doesn't make no, yeah, me, it doesn't trade him, instill yeah. like uh, uh, a resounding doubt about anything. But yeah, uh, you know, 16 points, five fouls. It, the, there was, the three-point shot was almost non-existent for the series for the Pelicans. With the exception of game two. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. And that's hard. I mean, the NBA now is a three-point shooting league. Like, you basically teams build everything around it. And if it wasn't for Trey Murphy tonight, they wouldn't hit anything. Yeah, and uh, if if you're not going to make three-point shots, you know, 
Valanchunas is not a good matchup against DeAndre Ayton. He no. was getting his lunch eaten every night. Yeah. Larry Nance showed up tonight. Um, but, you know, JV is a regular season player. Yeah. In the playoffs, people are there to play. They're there to win. And you can see that JV was frustrated. He yeah. was discombobulated. And he really didn't have that much help. Yeah, the offenses are very different. Everything's a lot. You know, and the same thing's happening in Memphis, right? Steven Adams mm. was fantastic for Memphis the entire season. He can't play in the playoffs. That's the way the playoffs go sometimes. They change the lineups. They, they take you out of that. Uh, there's a lot better shooting on the floor. And, and DeAndre Ayton was awesome uh, for Phoenix. But look, this is going to be the big question of if the – if your core is actually Ingram and McCollum, I don't know how far this team can get. As good as these rookies are, as much development as you saw throughout the season, all of these things are very uh, real leaps that the team has taken. But there is, a, I, I think, a pretty uh, obvious ceiling on this team, given the circumstances. It's the reason that it was so inspiring because you see the ceiling and they seem to be kind of pressing up against it. Mm -hmm. uh, now, McCollum can get hotter and certainly can play a shitload better than he did in this series. But this team needs Zion. Yes. And it was made incredibly clear that they can compete with anyone in the NBA, but they can't necessarily beat anyone in the NBA without him. Uh, but they're right there, stride for stride, against some really, really good competition. And I think that should give this team a lot of faith. And you would think it would show Zion, like, hey, man, like, you don't have to go anywhere or do anything in order to play for a competitive team that has a really good shot. Well, one thing that I noticed throughout this series was the national coverage changed on the Pelicans after game two completely. Yeah. Game one, they're showing Zion doing windmill dunks against Teaspoon in practice. Game two, they're showing him on, they're cutting over to him on the bench every time they go to the bench. Game three, four, five, and six, they weren't really doing that. No. There was some Zion talk, and it was mostly he's missing from this team. This team is going to be very good when he is there. Yeah. Uh, a lot of complaints from people that are ardent Pelicans fans. Uh, has been lack of national coverage. Uh, I think the Pelicans got respect on a national stage. Uh, Reggie Miller is the biggest Jose Alvarado fan <laughs> in the world. Pains uh, of the asses love other pains of the asses. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's hard to kind of complain about the, the coverage they got. I mean, yeah, they're a small market team. Pretty much every playoff team left is a small market team. Yeah, you know, I mean, you got like Boston, Boston and, and, yeah. and, and Golden State, yeah. but there's some, you know, I was kind of rolling my eyes at like people talking about Phoenix, like getting like Phoenix <laughs> gets no respect. No. no one cares about Phoenix. No, especially not mainstream. No NBA coverage. Uh, so it, it was nice to see that. Hopefully that was rewarding for people that are always yelling about shit. There were like I, I saw some guy tweet like, you know, it's crazy that there were all these Lakers and Nets games and there weren't any. Pelicans is like, you don't know who Thomas Sadoransky is. <laughs> Shut the front door. Like, let's 
I, you know, rose-colored glasses and all. Let's. I know the, the league is still going to show New York and Los Angeles. Of course, on TV. it's going to happen. You got to learn to kind of deal with that. Uh, I do think the Pelicans sort of became uh, darlings of NBA media this week. Yeah, uh, and, and they earned it. Uh, and, and again, a lot of that's the product of of guys coming out of absolute nowhere. The Herb Joneses, Jose Alvarados, Trey Murphy, like those guys were great. The problem is that this team, if you would have told me that those guys were going to be as good as they have been down the stretch of the season, uh, this team really could have gone punch for punch with anyone. Mm -hmm. But the fact is that they traded a first-round pick for Devontae Graham, who is bad. Bad. He was very bad uh, the, this season, particularly uh, in some of these stretches in the playoffs. It's really unfortunate. They had hit on that move. That was a why I don't you know as they were making it I think it made sense he fit the profile in a lot of ways especially a guy to play with Zion uh, but that was a mistake you you gave up a, a pretty good asset for a guy who didn't help you uh, and then McCollum just simply did not have a good enough playoff series if that guy's going to be it, it, if not your one at least your one B uh, he's got to be better than he was and he, the fr it frankly was just. Three pointers that he was pretty good from two, mm -hmm. and nobody expects him to be some crazy defensive stopper. But if he had had just a little bit of that magic that he can get sometimes, you know, where he's drilling three after three, mm -hmm. this series is almost certainly going to Phoenix because one of those games, whether it be game three or game six or game one, just changes uh, based on that. Yeah, absolutely. But they're fun, man. Like, it's just not a bad, like, it, it's crazy that they ended up being not a bad team considering how much time I spent just murdering them in October, November, and December. Yeah, you know, I remember episodes one, two, and three where we were talking about, like, just being fun, like a Kings team from, a, you know, yeah. three or four years ago, yeah. from a Memphis team from a year or two ago, and, and the Pelicans have done that, and it it's fun. Yeah. There is an effort out there, and... Watching, especially the the first and second quarter, where the the Pelican, I think the first quarter was tied, and uh -huh. this and the second quarter was you know a few points difference. But the uh, hustle and the defensive uh, wherewithal was astounding. Yeah, like Larry Nance is out there in guys' faces. Yeah, and, you know Valanciunas is fucking asleep. That's why Chris <laughs> Chris Paul had thirty five points because. Uh, you know, JV's blinking at him. Yeah. Well, he just can't trap him. Yeah. It's, 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 Chris Paul went 14 for 14, the greatest shooting performance in playoff history. Uh, so we oh, all I get didn't to, know that. Yeah, we all get to witness some greatness tonight. Uh, most, I mean, Chris Paul's incredible. He was amazing. I Truly, and, and respect to him, he is the king in so many ways. I, like, having watched the early years of his career, I am... I feel like that was a privilege almost to watch that tonight. As much as it sucks for the Pelicans, it was uh, it was really something. As far as like connecting with the city now, which I think is the big question, right? Is the a lot of people were like, "Well, now this is a basketball city," and look, and and the atmospheres were fantastic for those three mm -hmm. games, uh, and, and and the Spurs game included. Uh, what do you kind of notice? Like, do you, are you seeing like your friends, your kind of your group at the office, whatever? Like, are are people? tending to give a shit more do you think it'll carry over 
I'm not sure about the carryover, but for the last two weeks in New Orleans, it's what everybody's been talking about that yeah. I've been around. It's been on the TVs at the bars, and you know, I've seen Pelicans T-shirts around the French Quarter, mm-hmm. and uh, I I know people that have come to town. You know, not you know from. Istanbul, but they've been coming sure. from Hattiesburg and Lafayette and Baton Rouge and stuff to see games, and that that kind of stuff builds. And uh, the the Pelicans did everything right in that aspect. You know, t- it was uh, the, going to the game was a fun experience today. Yes. It was a very lively atmosphere. Thing, it was great that it was at six thirty. It would have been nice if there had been at least one other home game <laughs> that wasn't at eight thirty or nine. Yeah. Like you called in a bomb threat to some game, <laughs> and then. I don't know. I think that was, uh, yeah, Billy Hernan Gomez on the phone. Like, can we delay it? I'd set up some uh, sleeping bags, like the you know the J- Japanese drawers from Seinfeld. Yeah, I had yeah. those going in the back. Uh, yeah, it was very nice to get a six thirty start. Uh, I am, as we go into the future here, I think that was a big storyline. Right? Was is this a basketball city now? Is this a place that cares? I think it's still safe to call this a bandwagon city for now. Uh, and that's fine. It's mm-hmm. a lot better than a city that doesn't care at all, which is what the city, the New Orleans has been with the NBA on and off for 20 years now. Next year, I, I can't imagine a city and a fan base kind of connecting with a team better that didn't produce really all that much. It's not that everybody points to kind of the 2008 uh Hornets team Mm -hmm. that team was the second best team in the NBA that year they were awesome and so yeah it's easy to connect with that team they had a pretty much an MVP Chris Pauly came in second that year that team was incredible yes that connected and yes it worked out for a long time this team was not that good but people love this team Mm -hmm. and I think that says more and it probably has longer connective tissue to be able to build off of it and kind of grow with this rookie class, and I, I am very curious to see what the arena looks like next year. Very curious to see what you know season tickets look like, uh, because we've seen before where it kind of hits a peak in the playoffs, mm-hmm. and then they are you know two and eight to start the next season, and all of that momentum is dead and gone. And I, I don't expect that to happen this time around, but I do think it is worth waiting a little bit before we start claiming that this city is. You know, all of a sudden, Gaga over the Pelicans. Like, so it, it felt like they played a hype up video where it was uh, somebody on ESPN, some talking head, telling you about like what a big advantage that the Pelicans had being home. They played that with forty seconds left in the game. Yeah, it was kind of weird timing. You know, they're playing like the 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 Chris Kattan like head bobbing song <laughs> while they're like out there playing. Like, just get some shit together. Like, you know where you are. Play Manny, only played New Orleans rap for the I, floor music. Yeah. I will say they've taken huge strides in game production because not that long ago, the DJ was the guy who did my bar mitzvah, and they played Deo, like every possession. Yeah, I, and I remember. Heidi Hay, and what, like it was dated, 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 dated. I'm talking this is three years ago. This is not that long ago. Uh, now, a lot of musicians in between breaks during the playoffs. A lot of bounce music, a lot of, you know, like they have tried. And I think I see that where the effort's coming from. But yes, is it? I, I also don't believe it's all the way there. Um, but I think, you know, just like the team, 
You see the progress. Yeah. There's a work in progress. I really, res- I, I love the fact that you can go to a game in the Smoothie King Center and be like, this is the type of music and whatever that I would only hear in New Orleans. Yeah. As compared to like in 29 other cities, you can basically hear the exact same shit every single game, whatever you know, pump up song is whatever the, the top 40 hit of the moment, all that kind of stuff. I do think that they have tried to be unique. Um, really, the Saints aren't like the Saints, like, is the same music as yeah, everywhere ACDC else. DC, yeah, and- because they know that the Saints, as they exist, mean so much to people there, they don't have to make it more New Orleans, right? And that, that Green Day U2 song is one of the worst songs <laughs> that's ever been created, like, no joke. It is one of the worst songs. <laughs> Truly horrific for a sporting event as well. It's just got that like 2006, you know, like grab to it. I, uh, so, but yeah, I mean, they still play like keep rolling, rolling, rolling yeah. when they get like a first down. I'm like, come on, guys. I mean, that, this is my Pelicans hot take. Marketing, bump it up a notch, get a graphic guy, you know, do all that stuff. Other hot take. You have any hot takes for the for the? My hot take is that they they should have doubled Chris Paul tonight. Yeah, and I and and look, like I said, everybody loves Willie Green. Willie Green's great. I don't think anybody's going to come away being like, "Well, the coach is the one who yeah. blew this." Uh, they ha- you you can't let the guy go fourteen for fourteen and also be taking the the shots down the stretch. Yeah, and Devin like, Booker get the was ball missing out of his, his God- shots yeah, too. Get so. the ball out of his goddamn hands yeah. and make Devin Booker beat you. That and that and that would have been fine. But I think mm-hmm. it showed a lot of desperation on Phoenix's part that they had to play Devin Booker tonight because they did not want to play a game seven against right. this team. And so they Booker comes back from injury early, says a lot about the Pelicans, says a lot about the fact that Chris Paul did not want to leave it up to a Game 7 in this circumstance. Definitely. And uh, Devin Booker was not 100%. You could see that Brandon Ingram was not 100% in the fourth quarter. I mean, in garbage time, I think he took three or four threes in a row that were not even close. That is out of character from Brandon Ingram. And, and, you know, he put it on the line for the team. And, uh, yeah, I mean, very, you know, we'll, we found things to complain about, but very few complaints overall, uh, a fun night, a fun season, uh, kind of from the ashes. So, uh, thank you all for, uh, for sticking with us the whole season. We do appreciate, uh, that. And, uh, well, obviously tons to happen in the off season, the draft coming up, the Pelicans will have a top 10 pick, which is a nice kicker, uh, on top of this season. And then, free agency and uh, it starts all over again a lot to look forward to with this team a whole lot to talk about there's also a whole lot that happened on the other side of the building in airline drive the nfl draft was tonight in any other year that would be the number one story in the city instead it will uh we will talk about it next coming up right here On Oak, everybody. That's right, your favorite bar, my favorite bar, everybody's favorite bar, the finest patio bar in all of Uptown New Orleans. That's right, Ale on Oak. If you like good beer, if you like a lovely patio, if you like great food and a full menu, I think you're going to like Ale on Oak. It is right there off the streetcar tracks, Uh, 30 draft beers, everything that you could want. Uh, they have a lot of televisions. They have a lot of sports on. They know what you want to watch 
and it will be on for you. A wonderful staff, great beer, great food. You find me any reason to not go to Ale on Oak. Can't do it. Can't do it. Hey, say you like uh, the NFL draft, which we're about to talk about. Love it. If you want to watch it Friday, Saturday, can't think of a better place to go than Ale. I'm a huge draft guy. You're Did- telling me I can go to Ale and see day two and day three? They're going to have it on. All, all the Man. 16 different crawls across the screen, all the B-roll footage you could have of North Dakota State, uh, everything you could dream of, that will be right there at Ale on Oak. And if you like baseball or gambling on baseball, they have the extra innings package for MLB, Ooh. so you can watch any baseball game you want. Just walk up to the bartender and say, I would like to watch the Royals and the Tigers. And they'll say, okay, sir, you are a big loser, but we'll put it on for you anyway. And sure enough, they're going to do it. Because that's right, Ale on Oak. They probably won't call you a loser. Probably not. I'm going to go there, tell them to put on a Dodgers game, kick back. Yeah. You know, it's a lovely place to hang out. Uh, We cannot recommend it enough. I watched game two there uh, of the Pelicans. They had the sound on and everything. So (laughs) it was very nice. It was very color TV. Color TV. Sound was on. Uh, It's a a low bar, but we do. uh, It's the best, man. Um, So Jake Jake Crowder that just sent a tweet. Jake Crowder's doing his. Uh, his postseason uh, or his postgame interview wearing a fuck Jay Crowder shirt. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, so I thought that was pretty funny. A uh, lot of good shirts tonight. A lot of good shirts tonight. Trey Murphy had the uh, uh, Joel Vanille Joel shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Jose had coach of the year for Willie. A lot they, of good shirts. Yeah, definitely. Except for the you except know, for the ones in the seats. <laughs> Eighteen thousand on the seats. Um, uh, a lot else happened tonight. So I don't know who who was able to kind of you know uh, put up the double TVs or be glued to their phone or whatever. We were sitting next to some Saints personnel at the game, and they had uh, they had the the draft on TV right in front of them, and we're watching the Pelicans and the Saints had an eventful. A very eventful first night of the draft. They entered after trading uh, right beforehand. They had trade right before the draft a couple weeks ago. They traded to get a second first round pick. Then they traded up uh, tonight uh, from number sixteen uh, to number eleven, uh, and they select Chris Olave from. Uh, I think it's Olave from Ohio State. Believe it or not. From Ohio State, mm. uh, the Saints draft someone from the Buckeyes. Uh, he is a uh, a really slick, smooth wide receiver. I saw Ohio State play a couple games last year. He is really damn good. He is very uh, a reliable target. I think that was a based on you know my extremely limited knowledge, a really uh, good pick for what they are looking for and what they need. You said we were sitting next to Saints personnel. You were sitting next to Saints personnel. <laughs> I was sitting next to a guy that donates plasma for a living. <laughs> With the track marks to prove it. I was in the 311 section. Not as much fun as it sounds. I was amongst the people. You were in your Hunger Games royalty throne area. 
But yeah, Chris Olave, Olavi. Yeah. We can do the Jose chant for him. Ola <laughs> Olave, Olave, Olave. Olave? I don't know. Olave, 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 Olave. I mean, I uh, couldn't even connect to the Wi-Fi in the place. So I didn't <laughs> I didn't even know who they drafted until they brought the thing up and they said 11. They traded up to get 11. Uh-huh. So the Saints traded uh, up. They they had number sixteen, which was they required from the Eagles, I believe, uh, and then they traded with Washington. Uh, they also gave up in exchange not just number sixteen, but also number ninety eight and number one twenty. So I believe that's their third and fourth round picks uh, that they have dealt. So. Uh, the Saints don't have a lot of other picks now, but they do get uh, not only Olave at number 11, they also took an offensive tackle uh-huh. named Trevor Penning. From Northern Iowa? From That's the one. Whoa. Yeah, that guy. Old, old Trevor T-Rex. Penning. <laughs> I remember him from those Northern Iowa uh, purple and yellow team, whatever the fuck their mascot is. They're the purple and yellow team. They right? are definitely purple and yellow. I don't remember what their mascot is. They look like the team from Saving Silverman. Okay. Where <laughs> the coach throws the uh, first down marker. Well, the next time the I'm neck. flying Spirit and watching a movie on there, I'll be sure to notice what the football team from Saving Silverman. You don't watch Saving Silverman annually? Not regularly. Oh, still should. just the departed. <laughs> I did see uh, I did see the Northman the other night. How was it? It was great. I didn't walk out. Yeah, wow. I saw it in like the IMAX thing. Damn. Yeah. Christian was Clark was very excited about seeing the Northman. It was great. It was like uh, it was like Black Panther for white people. <laughs> also known as every action movie prior yeah, to 2017, right? Much. Yeah. Uh, it was good though. Bjork- Bra- Braveheart style. Uh, kind of, yeah. Okay. Bjork was in it. She was dressed like Chris Robinson from the Black Crows. <laughs> uh, Sounds like a lot going great. on. I usually talk about the movie I see up top, uh, so I'm throwing it into Saints coverage because I got nothing <laughs> for the got Saints. Nothing. Uh, I saw it in IMAX in Elmwood. <laughs> Refillable ICs. Come on. Do they have the air conditioning working? The air conditioning was working. That's nice. Well, I told you I went there and the heat wasn't on and I almost froze to death. Oh, my God. It was horrible. That sounds pretty horrific. It was horrible. Uh, what's not horrible is the Saints getting the two positions that they needed. I think we all knew that the Saints sucked at receiver. So that is a nice uh, bonus for them and a good target for Jameis, who was at the game uh, tonight. Uh, and in addition, I don't know how to scout an offensive tackle by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, the Saints don't have a perfect history of drafting offensive linemen in the first round, <coughs> Cesar Ruiz. Um, but that is definitely a position of need. Turn Armstead uh, left to go to Miami. Saints needed a tackle. Uh, seems like they filled the needs. So whether or not they got the best players available is hard to say. Uh, but I don't think you can argue that they did what they needed to fill holes right now. And I think it sticks along with the theme that the Saints actually think they are going to compete this season. Yeah, that would have been, I guess, one of the bigger questions is, is this draft going to be a win now draft? It is. Uh, you know, I guess the other scenario there would have been the Saints go for a quarterback in the first round. Yeah, which would have been surprising. Sure. This is this cements that the Saints are trying to win right now. 
Dennis Allen, man, what a personality in that Pels video tonight. <laughs> Where he was just standing there like a corpse and then, uh, you know, mumbled something about New Orleans. Really electric stuff from five guys in pleated khakis. For those who weren't in the building, they had a... Uh, so, first of all, they showed Sean Payton, who was sitting courtside, and the place went bonkers for oh, Sean yeah. Payton. It was like, he quit. He quit on you. He's not the coach anymore. I know you love him, but he quit. Uh, so he's not there, and that's why they're drafting right now and he's here um and then they had like a pre-packaged video from like the saints front office and dennis allen but they were all wearing pelicans pullovers mm -hmm. and nobody i don't think people know what mickey loomis looks like and they definitely don't know what dennis allen looks like and there was like no reaction none no i don't think yeah. anybody had they were like oh the sales staff is welcoming from target is welcoming us yeah mickey loomis kind of looks like if rick flair worked at the bank <laughs> <laughs> i don't know <laughs> they're just like it was so nondescript and they were wearing pelican stuff so it literally just looked like it was like It'll. I think the city is still very much adjusting to sean payton not being the coach it was yeah. very obvious tonight well, I mean, half the people at the game were like, you know, they're like, "Who's that? Uh, dude, who's that guy that we're yelling? Who's that? Jose? Yeah, they yeah. don't. They don't know that Sean Payton's not the coach anymore. That's a very fair point. They're just there to drink some beers. And at the at the first home game, uh, somebody was like, "Where's Devin Booker? I thought he was." That's completely true. Uh, they need to get Twitter so they can get totally addicted to it. It's yeah. really cool. Um, yeah, so the the theme that we've had all along, which was do the Saints think that the Saints are still a good team, uh, the answers are resounding yes. And the Saints think that they are going to be a playoff team this upcoming season. They think these guys will fill in the holes that they have. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with them, uh, but time will tell, and we'll see what Jameis can do. We'll see what this defense that you know lost their safeties like – there's a lot of other pieces that needed to be filled in, uh, but offensively, at least, I don't think you could argue that the, these were the two most glaring positions of need. The Saints will have a bona fide offensive attack, at least when it comes to, you know, prospects that they believe in and guys that they, they've they've spent value uh, to go get these guys, and so it does speak a lot. I don't give gra draft grades because I think it's the stupidest thing in the world. Uh, but I do think this did send a message to the Saints fans that they do not plan on this being a rebuilding process right now. Yeah, I mean, everything you need to know about draft grades and just kind of response to the draft in general before the season is people were furious at Josh Allen. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You know. Yeah. No, All right. I mean, it's, it, no one I, I can't anything. think of a, a more recent better example than everyone was mad at Josh Allen. Yeah, I mean, Mitch Trubisky went number two, and everyone thought it was a great pick. Yeah, yeah. so it, it happens. Like it's an inexact science. I think everyone knows that. Uh, the only other news in the draft locally, as far as I know, Derek Stingley uh, Jr. Uh, gets taken number three by the Houston Texans. Uh, local guy, local agents. Very cool. Congratulations to Martin Fishman and his group uh, representing uh, Derek Stingley. So very cool uh, for him. And, you know, we'll see what happens. I'm glad I didn't have to watch the draft. It was really nice tonight that I didn't have to watch a second of it. 
It was nice to have a uh, a good thing to do instead. Yes, completely agree. Uh, on that note, uh, we will switch gears and we'll talk about something that's always so unbelievably uplifting: the Nola breakdown. It's the Odo. It is filled with juicy jazz, squalling trumpets, and you put Paris in a swamp, and that's Nolans in a nutshell, baby. <laughs> Twitter's new owner, Elon Musk, he's got stuff to say about the city we know and love. Elon Musk, he's an idea man, you know? You remember when those kids were trapped in that cave somewhere? Oh, yeah. What was his idea again? He, like, sent a little submarine down there and didn't do anything, and it wasted a bunch of money and time, and... Then he like called one of the actual rescue workers a pedophile. <laughs> uh, I don't so, know. He's a real cyber bully. A real shit poster. But you know, he's trying. He Jeff does. Bezos, what new ideas does he have? Good. Bathrooms at work? No. <laughs> Elon Musk, an idea man, just like myself, underground transit <laughs> tunnel to escape hurricanes in New Orleans. Elon Musk is chiming in on a long-standing discussion how to better evacuate New Orleans when a hurricane is looming. He took to Twitter, a social media platform he's buying over the weekend, to suggest tunnels as a way to improve uh, traffic conditions globally. Uh, Baton Rouge-based journalist replied saying a tunnel transportation loop from Baton Rouge to New Orleans would be awesome. And I guess that got the conversation going. Musk ideas for a hyperloop that would be an underground, ultra-high-speed passenger transportation option that would carry passengers at 600 miles per hour through low-pressure tubes to escape hurricanes. I mean, first of all, how can you build a tunnel in the city? We can't, like, bury a power line in this city. You're going to build a tunnel? How do you even do that? I thought you couldn't like, go under the ground. I'm going to guess that he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> I don't think boring into the Earth's core is the solution. Like, maybe if just the regular roads work. Most people yeah. evacuate on a regular road. Via car, yes. Via car. Some people take a bus. Mm -hmm. Those are available as well. Elon Musk says no. He's like, you know all those people in New Orleans... Uh, I'm going to put you in a tube with them <laughs> underground, and the tube is going 600 miles per hour. Can you carjack a tube going 600 miles a an hour? A tube jacking? <laughs> this has got to be, this is like a precursor. This is speed three. Yes. Yeah. Somebody's, if the tube goes under 600 miles per hour, it's going to blow up. And one of these things is probably going to blow up anyway. It's underneath the city. What is that going to do? Cause the city to cave into the earth. Yes. I don't think they would be able to build the. First off, this will never in a million years <laughs> ever happen. <laughs> never. Second off, if it did, the city would fall into the earth's magma. Would probably be an improvement overall. Quite possibly. <laughs> it's rather than, you know, uh, get battered for the thousandth hurricane. You know, we, just, we can't the build gone. we can't build on the earth. We're not gonna build in the earth. Yeah. You know how many bodies they would have to pull out <laughs> from the first time they even try and do that? And then they're gonna they're gonna blow up the earth's core and New Orleans will just fall into it. Yeah. 
Well, I think that's a better plan than the tunnels. Just wiping out <laughs> New Orleans completely and but, starting anew. Yeah. I think that's better. That's a better evacuation plan. I mean, I can't imagine. It's hot. It's going to be hot underground. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of people evacuating a hurricane on the hypertube. Yeah. The line to get in the hypertube will be a real treat. Also, 600 miles per hour. Let's say they just they put them on there for an hour. What is 600 miles from here? The people of Odessa <laughs> are going to be furious <laughs> when they open up the hatch or whatever, like lost. Crawfish shells. And there's, <laughs> you know, jazz fest dads falling out of the tube. This is this is a Lyle Landley, the monorail guy from The Simpsons situation. Yes. Yeah, I mean, what a... I mean, it's literally a ludicrous. I, I mean, you'd be better off just being like, we'll have everyone uh, grow wings and they'll fly away themselves. That is equally likely to happen as a hyperloop tunneling through the ground across the Baton Rouge, New Orleans corridor. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> literally, you're, more, you're much more likely to grow a rocket up your own ass and fly through the air and then land in Baton Rouge. Uh, Elon tweeted specifically, underground tunnels are immune to surface weather conditions, so it wouldn't matter to a hyperloop if a hurricane was raging on the surface, you wouldn't even notice. I feel like that's incorrect. (laughs) He says subways are a good example of this. I've seen a lot of videos in the last year of subways flooding. Flooding. Every time there's heavy rain. Like, remember Hurricane Sandy was leading to the subway system? Like, yeah. Uh, That happens all the time. That is just, like, wildly incorrect. I Hilarious. Wonderful. He's just like, well, you won't get a sunburn on it. Like, yeah, that's true. It doesn't mean you're impervious from the earths. How do you get... To the ground. There's got to be a way to, like, the, the, if the water is going on the ground and you have to walk down, <laughs> it's going to get there. This is where his uh, plan for a big fan comes in. <laughs> He's going to build a giant fan to blow the rain back up. We all had fan boats. That would actually work better. 600 mile an hour fan boats that took us across, you know, the, the, the Gulf of Mexico into Texas. I think that would be better. I mean, just just give us all jetpacks. <laughs> just shoot us in the face, honestly. <laughs> uh, um, uh, the next story uh, comes from NOLA.com as well. Uh, New Orleans City Funds uh, directed to the, quote, Mayor's Fund uh, draws City Council scrutiny. So the City Council has decided they just are going to uh, make LaToya Cantrell's life uh, very difficult. They are being uh, really... On top of her with everything, which, hey, you know, I think that's well deserved at this point. But the city council's like, hey, everything here sucks. Uh, maybe if we make everything uh, blame the mayor for everything, then they won't realize that we are also responsible for making things not suck here. Uh, anyway, uh, Latoya Cantrell, our favorite mayor, uh, obviously, shifting is shifting hundreds of thousands of dollars in city funds from a longtime city contractor to a nonprofit organization that she created after her first election, a move that has prompted the city council to expand its scrutiny of administrative initiatives. The nonprofit called Forward Together New Orleans, also known as My Range Rover Fund, 
uh, will receive a lump sum of $568,000 directly from the city's general fund and the Wisner Land Trust for gun prevention violence programs. Uh, absolutely bananas in any other place on earth here. Sure. Yeah. Sure. The mayor's paying herself $550,000 Who cares? to a nonprofit that no one knows what they do. Sure. Sure. I don't I don't care anymore. <laughs> I hope she buys an Iron Man suit and you know flies around the city. <laughs> the believe it or not, Ford together will retain an eight percent administrative fee or about forty five thousand dollars. <laughs> She's gonna be on the underground hypertube committee. Which is going to be like a $380 million sink. She'll siphon off probably about 28 mil. At that point, New Orleans, you know, it's going to be on its way towards, you know, like Blade Runner. Yes. It'll be like that, but without the technology. Yes. Exactly. It'll be, very, it'll be like 1972 technology. To, I was going to uh, say Akira, but yeah. I don't think we have. No, I, I'm not that far advanced. All right. Um, no, man, I, the best is, so, you know, the city's just going to absolute hell. They can't hire any cops, and they can't stop any crimes, the cops that do exist. And uh, nobody has any money, and everything costs a gazillion dollars. And she's tweeting out, literally, there was a three-year-old murdered in the middle of the French Quarter uh, by someone who had already had a warrant out for their arrest for murder. And she's tweeting out, Stuff about going to a fashion show and that she was given a prize at the fashion show. And it was like, what has to be going on in your head that you think this is like a good idea? And did you just have to be a level of clueless that I, I can't even fathom anymore? I mean, people hate to see a girl boss winning. <laughs> That's what this boils down to. You said there's no cops. There were plenty of cops at French Quarter Fest. I saw one cop with AirPods in who, I swear to God, uh, she had to like pause them because somebody was asking her a question and she was furious that they were asking her a question. I saw all sorts of cops at French Quarter Fest eating food and standing around the people that absolutely won't be causing any mayhem. <laughs> the guy, the guy with clinical gout in a rascal scooter, has yeah. four cops around him. We're gonna have to test that food for you. <laughs> Meanwhile, like a lion's escaped from the zoo and is eating people at pals. I, I, uh, I was driving down Tulane Avenue, uh, right around Broad last night, and uh, it was seven o'clock, seven thirty. And there was four guys in four-wheelers, which are definitely not street legal. They don't have enough lights. Uh, doing wheelies on four-wheelers, no exaggeration. Directly behind them is a police officer. Directly behind the mm -hmm. four of them. They are doing wheelies the entire way. The cop then just turns right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> doesn't hit the signal. Doesn't pull him over. Not even like, hey, get off the street, you guys. <laughs> just, I uh, didn't see it. And out of the way. Do um, they have helmets? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> they have elbow pads and helmets on. Yeah. I'm expecting like a Mad Max helmet, like covered in spikes. <laughs> I mean, it, I, thankfully, they weren't doing donuts. They were just 
popping wheelies, you know, and and, and cars that weren't street legal. Uh, but you know, as long as the mayor is getting her six hundred thousand uh, dollars to go directly into her own uh, her her own organization, I mean, how is that not just completely illegal? Just bananas. It probably is. Yeah. I who's going to arrest? Who's going to stop her? I guess the city council is going to try. I'm sure they'll fail. No, he's going to get a DUI driving on the way to try and stop her. <laughs> All right, let's get into the worst. Ladies and gentlemen, the worst. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I've ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumb. For the worst. Worst is the worst thing I saw or read this week. It's uh, g- it's like gender. It's fluid. There's a lot of different interpretations <laughs> of the worst. The worst can be the best thing I saw this week. It can be somebody acting in a good way poorly. I don't know what that means. You, you just talk on these podcasts. Sure. Y- you hope not to be scrutinized. I'm saying words and they're coming out of my mouth. Here's a story. I always enjoy it. Mike Tyson. Oh, baby. Do you know what he does for a living, Uh, or at least used to do? Beats people up. True. (laughs) Now, whenever you're around somebody that professionally beats the shit out of someone, do you tend to bother them? Uh, Not intentionally. All right. Well, you might be on a lonely island with that one. Uh Mike Tyson punched a passenger who was on an airplane. Uh, They were going, I believe, from Vegas to Miami. That's a horrible flight. (laughs) Degenerate Central. Mike Tyson, he's up front. There's a video of this on TMZ. Maybe you've seen it. And there's some dope white goober, you know, entitled to take selfies, probably has a Bluetooth ear piece that he talks very loudly on in the grocery store to nobody about nothing his dad's almost definitely a lawyer he sees mike tyson and he starts like hey man let me bother you a whole lot mike tyson takes a photo of this guy takes a selfie with him Mm -hmm. and then he is locked in to a fucking eight hour flight or whatever oh god and this guy is bothering mike tyson the entire time the loser white guy, totally in the wrong. The whole time, he's bothering everyone on the plane. He's yelling about Mike, and he's, like, sitting right behind him. Oh, my God. And he's yelling about, like, hanging out with Mike and all this stuff. And the flight, they uh, land safely, and Mike Tyson turns around and just starts beating the shit out of this guy. <laughs> Which is something we've all fantasized. And nobody around him, I imagine, stopped him at this point. No, like, people are filming it. Of course, yes. there's like two angles on this. And then this guy survived. Yeah. He did not die immediately. <laughs> His face did not literally cave in. I think that's what happens when you get... He was very drunk or on pills or something. Sure. I think when when you get that drunk, you're more likely to survive a fight because you're not like clinching. Like you're not yeah. going to... I don't, I, I don't know what it is. Loosey-goosey. He's loosey-goosey. He got his face punched in by Mike Tyson, and he lived to tell the tale. That's awesome, though. Good for Mike Tyson for waiting till the plane landed. That's a pro move. Of, yeah. Like, we don't want them to emergency land the plane. Yeah, he doesn't want to land in El Paso. Yeah, <laughs> like, I have to figure out a way to go to the, you know, it's like, 
look, I'm going to get to the destination, and then I'm going to. How how long into the flight do you think it took him to decide I'm going to beat this shit? Nine seconds. (laughs) Five hours from now, this guy's about to take a wailing to the face. Yeah, they they were doing like the Tommy Boy flotation device like (laughs) setup, and he's like, I'm going to beat this guy mercilessly. And then he just gets, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to stop Mike Tyson? No, I wouldn't. No. And I'm sure the other people on the plane were like, yeah, this guy deserves it. Oh, yeah. They all heard it, right? You got to see a Mike Tyson fight for free? (laughs) I mean, that's a big deal. It's like going to a flash mob, you know? (laughs) Who did he fight like a year ago? There was like some weird pandemic fight where he fought somebody. Yeah. I mean, this is up close and personal. Oh, man. That's great. And he is unleashing the fury. I've been on these flights. And this man is unleashing the fury of every passenger on that plane that wants this dope to shut up. I hope everyone on that flight had a great time. I uh, Mike should have gone further. He should have, like, kicked him. <laughs> yeah, just he could have bitten him. his ear off. Uh, yeah, man. I, I, you don't get to see a lot of fights in person anymore, particularly with like pro athletes. That's awesome, dude. Mike Tyson used to be like the most intimidating. Like he's kind of fat and goofy now. He was like Mike Tyson was like the most unbreakable athlete of like my youth. Like there's like a stretch there. I think both of our ages were like four years where Mike Tyson was just considered like this otherworldly level of strength. And the concept that anybody would be like messing with him, yeah, just he threw a water bottle at Mike Tyson. Oh my god! Like an enclosed area, like he's going to kill you. What do you think is going to? And you hear this a lot uh, from like people that do MMA, UFC fighters in particular. Every time they go out, people are trying to start shit with him. And this dude is not like insane. This guy is clearly not a fighter, not uh, yeah. a boxer in any weight class. He is just a goon. Like, well, you can tell the story. Did Tyson get arrested? I don't think so. I, <laughs> I don't... Everyone was like, it's not his fault. Well, who's going to arrest Mike Tyson? <laughs> <laughs> well, several people have arrested Mike Tyson. <laughs> that was back when the police force, there was a force... Yeah. They uh, could, you know, hit him with the sticks. Yeah. The victim was uh, significantly more innocent as well uh, <laughs> at that stage. Uh, this has been a wonderful episode of Poke and Kush. It is very late. Uh, we uh, have done our best to give you uh, some very immediate reaction. Uh, my thanks deeply to Mr. Polk for uh, putting this one up tonight and, uh, and hosting this. Uh, We do enjoy doing this episode. We will keep talking Pelicans even though uh, the season is over. I hope you stick with us if you've gotten on uh, in the last few weeks as the Pelicans have really uh, started to make their move. Um, Please like, rate, subscribe, tell your friends, tell everybody. We do love doing the show. Go visit Ale on Oak. Bet on DraftKings. Use promo code POKENKUSH. Thank you so very, very, very much for listening. Uh, We will be back next week. Enjoy your Jazz Fest. And see ya!